You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Lee. Big thank you to Rich for hopping on the Patreon. Uh, I super appreciate all of the supporters of this podcast who continue to make it possible every month. I also want to shout out uh, Jess K, uh, James Q, Jeremy R, Brian H, Ryan S, and Aaron Kate L for your support of this podcast. So, we got a lot of stuff going on here. This is actually take two of the podcast because I got about 15 minutes into it and I decided I just, I wasn't happy with the direction it was going because it was a lot of just, well, here's my opinion about this player that we drafted. And I just, I don't know. I didn't think it was that great. So we're restarting. Also, um, I lost power yesterday afternoon and then it didn't come on again until this morning. And that was interesting. Um, it's where I live. It's still pretty cold. There's still snow on the ground and it was a little interesting as the house got colder and colder and colder throughout the night. And, uh, me and my wife and our infant child are all trying to keep warm and, it was a little interesting. We had uh, candles going, and it was kind of cozy and and just a lot of fun. But uh, power finally came back on. We're back in the twenty first century, and it's nice. It's nice to be back. Okay, let's talk about um, Jordan Love super quick, and then we're gonna hop into the draft picks. Jordan Love yesterday, Tuesday, May second. Uh, this was the deadline for the Packers to pick up his fifth year option. Anybody who is not well versed on that, if you are a first round pick, you are under contract for four years. However, your team has the option to pick up what's called your fifth year option and you're under contract for that fifth year, but you're very expensive. And there's a, you know, formula that says what it is based on your position and based on what other people in the league at your position are making and all that. But Jordan Love would have been, I think, $20.3 million for his fifth year, which would be 2024. The Packers decided not to pick it up, but instead to give him a contract extension. Uh, for one extra year. So he, it's, it's this weird in between stage where he is under contract for 2024 and it's still for that same 20.3 million. However, the structure is different. So if they had just picked up the fifth year option, that $20.3 million would be fully guaranteed. So. He breaks his leg. He can't play. He still gets all $20 million. He sucks. We can't 
really move on from him because we owe him $20.3 million. So this is an in-between. He has $13.5 million guaranteed for 2024. Um, and that is some protection for Jordan for if he's not very good or if he gets injured. Um, the Packers have him under contract, so he's not a free agent at the end of the 2023 season like he would have been otherwise. I think this is a great meet-in-the-middle um, solution here because Jordan, yes, he has not gotten to play, but also prior to, you know, halfway through last season, I think he was not ready to play. That's just the long and short of it. He was not ready to play. So you could point to the whole situation and say the Packers are at fault for not playing him sooner. I also think that he just had not really earned that playing time. I think now at this point he clearly has. At this point in his career, he has earned the playing time. It is time to let him play. And I think expectations should be, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say, should be high. That he That he should be a good football player. And if he's not, well, then he has $13.5 million guaranteed. I think probably um, a majority or most of that is probably in his bank account right now already. I think I, I have not seen the breakdown, but I would guess there's a sizable signing bonus that a lot of that, that guaranteed money is structured into. So that's another plus for Jordan. So he gets to put some cash in his pocket he gets to go walk into the locker room and feel like a real football player and a real leader of his team because, let's face it, some of these guys, some of these guys that we drafted, like Lucas, Lucas Van Ness is going to make a lot more money this year than Jordan Love was slated to make this year. And you just can't have that happening when you're the, you know, face of the franchise. So I think this is a good meet in the middle compromise. Um, he gets the same – if he plays up to expectations and is healthy, then Jordan gets all the same amount of money he would have gotten anyways. Um, the Packers have a little bit of protection for if he stinks or gets injured. Um, they also have some protection for if he's really good and they want to make sure that he's here next year. Um, and then Jordan gets some money now that he doesn't have to wait an extra year for. Um, I also think that the Packers probably were not going to pick up his fifth-year option if he had refused to sign this extension. I think they probably would have just said, well, okay, I guess play out the 2023 season and we will get together at the end of that year and hopefully come together on some sort of an agreement. <laughs> so I, I think that this is kind of the best possible outcome for everybody. Let's talk about the draft picks. So we had 13 selections throughout the seven rounds. Tiny part of me really wishes that we had one more pick so I could just say we got twice as many picks as there were rounds and that we averaged two picks per round. That would have been cool, but we're almost there. Um, 13 picks. Wow. A lot of players. I, I, you know, I, should, I have not gone back and looked when the Packers have maybe ever had that many draft selections before. Maybe this is a franchise record. I don't know, but they certainly don't usually. They had 11 picks last year, I think, 10 or 11, and that was a lot. So 13 this year is fantastic. Um, and then I'm going to say two things about this draft class. One is that I really was unhappy the entire time it was going on. Every time we had a pick... I was always like, eh, okay. And every time 
we're waiting in between picks. I'm seeing all my favorite prospects coming off the board. And it's just heartbreaking. And I'm watching all these guys that I spent these hours scouting and watching. They all come flying off the boards and we're grabbing none of them. And that was kind of sad. But then, as I do every year, because this is how most Packers draft classes go, I took a step back. I waited a few days. I ruminated on it. And I really like it now. This is how it goes every year. Last year was an anomaly. Last year, 2022, the Packers took, like, all of my favorite players. And I should have should have done a better job of reminding myself, don't get used to it. <laughs> this is not, like, a new trend. It's not like you're just better at scouting for the Packers than you used to be. It's, it's just a fluke that they happen to like the same guys you do this year. They never, ever do. They always grab guys that you're like, what? That guy? So that's one thing I want to say. And I'll also throw a caveat on on there. They also did select the number one player that was on my board. Lucas Van Ness was, for me, rated as the best, single best prospect in this entire draft class. And because we humans are idiots, I was still disappointed. Come on. How dumb is that? That I'm literally saying, if you have, you know, the number one pick here, and you're not in a position where you, like, need to go find a quarterback. Lucas Van Ness is the guy you should take. And I was still disappointed. Because I had talked myself into, I just had fallen in love with the idea of Jackson Smith and Jigba, or Michael Mayer, or, you know, Dalton Kincaid. Like, one of those top guys. I, I think I even would have been happy with Jalen Hyatt. And then you look at where all these guys went in the draft, and I think Jalen Hyatt fell to, like, the third round, something like that. <laughs> Jonathan Mingo. Oh, that was the guy. Jonathan Mingo I really wanted. Um, and then he went in the second round, super early in the second round. And Jackson fell to 20. And Michael Mayer was the second tight end taken. And he fell into the mid-second round. You know, you just look at how the whole draft fell. And it's like, man, the NFL really disagreed with some of our assessments. Anyways, all of that being, you know, Set aside, here's the other thing I want to say about this 2023 Packers draft. Is that if you remove the names, minus Lucas Van Ness, if you remove the names, this is exactly what I had asked the Packers to do. Seriously. You look at, we'll talk about um, Jaden Reed in a minute here, the wide receiver they took in the second round, who was just not on my radar, which is a big failure on my part because, you know, clearly I, I missed the guy that the Packers liked. And at a point where they still, you know, had their pick of the litter, I missed him despite being a a Big Ten guy. And, you know, Jaden Reed is well known in the Big Ten. And I remember him from 2021. I remember, you know, thinking that he was kind of one of those top guys. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that I would talk about frequently when people would talk about Jahan Dotson. Is I would say, like, you know, I think that he's maybe a slightly better Jaden Reed, but they're very, very similar. And then Reed went on to have a bad, you know, relatively a bad 2022 season in comparison. And he just fell off my radar. And I just didn't really ever take a close look at him. I looked at, I think I had like 35 wide receivers ranked and somehow I just kind of skipped over Jaden Reed. But if you look at him, if you just take the name off and you just look at what the description of him is, it's how we all describe Jackson Smith and Jigba. 
You know, it's this guy who's a little bit on the small side, but is very athletic. Uh, Jaden is faster, has that top end breakaway speed that I think Jackson actually was criticized for not having. Can play a lot out of the slot, but also can totally survive on the boundary. I mean, no question about that at all. You know, very shifty and explosive after the catch. Definitely the kind of guy that I think can do all the things that I was asking for Jackson Smith and Jigba to come in and do in terms of carving up the underneath. You know, you got Christian Watson stretching the field and then Jaden Reed closer to the line of scrimmage, making magic happen, getting open real quick, still also a deep threat. Again, you take the names off and just look at the positions and the specific type of those guys that were drafted. You look at the tight ends. I didn't like Luke Musgrave. I did like Dalton Kincaid. They're also kind of the same player. (laughs) I mean, Luke Musgrave is um, barely played in college. So there's a ton of question marks about him. But he's still kind of the exact same player that Dalton Kincaid is. And the only thing that you have to to complain about here is whether or not you disagree with the Packers' assessment of that player. You know, if, if I'm sitting here and I'm saying Dalton Kincaid and Luke Musgrave are basically the same kind of receiver. And I really liked Dalton Kincaid and I didn't like Luke Musgrave. Okay, well, the Packers are saying they did like Luke Musgrave. So am I just going to sit here and say that, the, you know, my ability to assess a football player's, you know, value is better than the Packers? Of course not. So I I have no complaints about the process. I, I, I like the process. I didn't like the names that were selected many of the times that we were on the clock. The one guy, Carl Brooks. He was on my love list. When we talked defensive tackles, Carl Brooks was really high. And actually, uh, the funny thing is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty geeked about Colby Wooden, who we took in the fourth round. Carl Brooks and Colby Wooden are an interesting comparison because on paper, Carl Brooks is, um, a much more productive and I would even say much more polished player. Than Colby Wooden. Colby Wooden has that athletic upside. And this is the big difference between the two. You know, if you want the counting stats, you want the college production, it's Carl Brooks every day. And he was a guy, you know, I had him as, I think, my defensive tackle number uh, eight. No, I'm looking at the board. I had him at five. So that's kind of wild. Colby Wooden, I actually did not rank as a defensive tackle, and that was a miss by me. I just had him down as an edge. And if you are just taking, obviously, a defensive tackle's measurements and are, you know, um, lining him up with all the other edges, he's not going to rank very highly because <laughs> he's an interior guy. And so I just looked at his numbers and I said, meh, not really interested in watching him, and I didn't watch him. So after we drafted him and... um you know, we're hearing the Packers talk about their vision for him. And like, he's clearly an inside guy. I said, Oh, a light bulb went off my head. I went over to my board. I added Colby Wooden to the defensive tackle list. Sure enough, he's, he's pretty high. Now he's got, 
you know, a couple of little red flags that I think that you would look at and have some concern with. One is that the the college production wasn't really there. The tackling, pretty poor. He's not a great tackler, but very athletic. I think had I listed him as an interior defender, this is absolutely a guy that I would have ended up watching relatively early. I think he checks enough boxes that he would have been within the first 10 defensive linemen that I watched. And I think I would have liked him. I do. And, and I do like him right now. Definitely not a guy who's on my radar, though. Let's talk. I think today what I want to do is just dive into um, just a little overview of each of these players and maybe talk about what some expectations should be. First up, we're going to talk about Lucas Van Ness. So this was, again, my number one prospect in the draft. And, and the funny thing is, although we did an episode where we, where I was, um, I spent a good amount of time talking about edge rushers. This was the last episode I did right before the draft where I did a mock draft. And there's a whole segment where I talked about edge rushers. And I mentioned in passing that Lucas Van Ness was my number one edge rusher. And then I proceeded to talk for minutes upon minutes about my number two edge rusher, Keon White, and just, you know, essentially justifying why I had him ahead of Will Anderson. And it's hilarious to me now to look back at that and go, you know, I just mentioned in passing that Lucas Van Ness was my edge one, and now he's on the team, and I completely squandered that opportunity to talk about him. So let's talk about him. He's uh, a guy who played a lot of D-tackle for the Iowa Hawkeyes and then moved outside this past year, really, I guess, the second half of this uh, year. Uh, Lucas was the number 17 recruit in the state of Illinois, number 52 overall strong side defensive end prospect coming out of high school. Not um, a lot of interest from football teams in Lucas as a prospect. He was a uh, three-star recruit, but here's the thing. He had 31 scholarship offers, including the entire Ivy League. So he's a smart kid. Um, I know that he had offers from all the Ivy League schools because he wrote that on his LinkedIn page. Yes, I did read his LinkedIn page. The funny thing is there's an endorsement on his LinkedIn page from some other student at Iowa. And she's like, yeah, I worked with Lucas on this project in this class, and he's blah, 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 and here's all the stuff about him. And the girl's last name is Van Ness. So I don't, as far as I can tell, he's not married. Because I think that he's got a girlfriend named Frankie. So I, you know, is this his sister, his cousin? You know, I bring up the married thing because, you know, if if she if her name had not been Van Ness when she wrote that and then she married him and became Van Ness, then it's slightly less funny. But but I I think it's like his cousin or his sister <laughs> who wrote this endorsement of him as though she just only knew him professionally. But then they have this this same identical, very obscure last name. Anyways, let's talk about strengths and weaknesses for Lucas. Um, extremely athletic. Uh, this dude, uh, ranks really highly if you classify him as a defensive lineman or an edge. I think year one, this is a guy who probably is going to get moved around a little bit. 
I think they're going to experiment with where they like playing him. Partly because he has uh, a lot less experience on the edge than he does on the inside. And I think that, you know, despite the fact that, you know, you have Kenny Clark, you have Devontae Wyatt, a uh, first round pick from last year, you have uh, TJ Slayton as kind of your pure nose tackle, and you also have Colby Wooden, you drafted in the fourth round this year. I, I think there are plenty of snaps to go around for Lucas Van Ness to get some snaps on the inside. Uh, he's a pretty decent run defender. He had an 80.9. Run defense grade his final year in college. Uh, one of the negatives for me, for him, is his missed tackle rate is relatively high. Uh, I don't love to see that. Missed tackle rate is sitting at, mm, we'll round up to 29%, 28.6%. Pressure rates through the roof, 17%. That's astronomical. You love seeing that. Um, as a, uh, a coverage guy, which is something he would have to do if we play him at outside linebacker rather than as a true hand in the dirt D end. He's not that great. Obviously, um, 91.7 passer rating given up when he's targeted. Um, he's only targeted one time. So it's an incredibly small sample size, but it did earn him a 66 coverage grade. Um, so he was in total, uh, he played a total of four coverage snaps and he was targeted once. So on those three coverage snaps where he wasn't targeted, I guess they're saying he did a decent job. So maybe in, in, you know, kind of a weird way, uh, Van Ness maybe kind of takes on that Dean Lowry role a bit for you in year one, plays some D end for you, which, you know, in our three, four defense, that's a, a, D-tackle, really, but if you kind of think of him as the new Dean Lowry, I think this is probably a pretty significant upgrade over Dean Lowry due to the athleticism. Um, he is a strong guy. He's not... I, I guess if we're going to talk about strength for a half second, I compare Lucas Van Ness a lot to a young J.J. Watt, but the biggest difference between the two guys is J.J. was freakishly strong. He had like, I don't know, 36 reps on the bench. Lucas had 17, which is actually quite bad. But overall, his, you know, and, and the bench is not obviously the, the best uh, representation of strength. It's an indicator, but it's, it's, you know, certainly not the be all end all. And then also, another, I guess, little knock on Van Ness just as a college player. I think anybody who watches him will come away saying that there's a lot of development needed. To me, though, that's a positive because I look at how impactful and productive he was. He averaged 1.46 impact plays per game, very athletic, and and the technique just needs a lot of refinement. And this kind of goes back to the old hypothetical question here of, you know, if you're a coach and you see two guys who run the same speed and one guy runs it with good form and one guy runs it with bad form, which guy do you want? Well, you want the guy who ran as fast as the guy with good form, but ran it with bad form because you can teach him good form and clean that up and see some improvement. So there's further to go. Funny thing is, Lucas Van Ness, much more athletic and speedy and twitchy and explosive than Jordan Addison, who the Vikings took at wide receiver at pick 23 in the first round. Just hilarious. I... 
I couldn't stand Jordan Addison as a prospect. So when the Vikings selected him, I, I was hooting and hollering. I thought that was hilarious. Lucas Van Ness, if they're playing him along the D line, um, you know, hand in the dirt, playing him at, at D end for the first year, I think you can expect probably a little bit stouter run defense. It'd be interesting to me to see what combination of guys we end up with here um, along that D line in 2023. Obviously Kenny Clark is going to play a big role. I absolutely have an expectation of Devonte Wyatt being, you know, being that second guy in, in terms of snaps, you know, you, Kenny Devonte. And then at that point, I think it's a toss up for me of, you know, is, is TJ Slayton going to get a ton more reps is Colby Wooden really going to come in and take, you know, the defense by storm in year one? What sort of role do we have here for Lucas Van Ness? But I really think what you're looking at over the next few years is that Lucas is going to be your your replacement for Preston Smith. You're going to have Rashawn on one side, Preston, uh, uh, Lucas on the other. Lucas is extremely young. He's only 21 years old. You love to see it. He's um, honestly a very, very similar size to Preston Smith. And uh, let me pull this up here, actually. Somebody somebody was sharing around this screenshot that if you go to RAS.football, so this is the relative athletic score, and you plug in Lucas Van Ness, one tool that I don't use very often but is interesting is that you can scroll down a bit on a player's page and see which um, players throughout history are really good athletic comps to them. And, you know, is that going to tell you everything? No, but it is interesting. And if you look at Lucas Van Ness, the guys who he comps well to are Trayvon Walker, who was the number one overall pick last year out of Georgia, uh, Preston Smith, Trey Hendrickson, who plays for the um, Bengals, and uh, Ezekiel Anza. So, you know, obviously some names that you like to be compared to. But I really think that that versatility is going to serve him well early on. And I think that his potential is sky high. I actually like Van Ness just as an overall, um, you know, what he could be if he maximizes everything he has. Slightly more than Rashawn, which is really saying something. Very fast, very agile. Um, I, you know, when I look at him, just a, some strengths and weaknesses I see. He has a really quick first step. I think that he he frequently can kind of get past an offensive lineman, you know, right off the jump. Um, very uh, quick reflexes that serve him well in the run game. Something I like. Um, you hear a lot of people talking about what a hard worker he is, what a good guy he is. That's obviously a huge plus for me. If we're going to talk about some weaknesses, I, I think that his physical strength, you know, we mentioned, I mentioned it a little bit ago when I was comparing him to JJ. Watt. I think that's something that he really does need to work on. And in my opinion, some of those missed tackles are actually broken tackles. And he needs to build up some strength to make sure that that's not happening so much. And, and fortunately, strength is is one of those things that is totally in his control. You know, it's a lot. It's really hard to get faster in, in any capacity, but you can get stronger. That's just a matter of you know, do you have the frame to carry? 
all the muscle? Do you know how to work out right? I think that the the Packers are going to really help him, um, you know, do what it takes to to pack on that muscle and really build up his overall strength. And I think that would be um, a major asset for him. Um, I, he's also very inconsistent. You know, that I would describe it as he flashes brilliance all the time. And then in between those brilliant plays, you got just a bunch of um, frustrating moments. And then peppered in through those frustrating moments are times where he, you know, he has a good power rush and he's collapsing the pocket by just kind of backing the offensive lineman up into the quarterback. And, you know, that is certainly a plus and it's something that the Packers like to do defensively. You know, that's a, a kind of a Preston Smith staple in a lot of ways. But I think that if you just could see a little more consistency from him, you, you would, you would uh, have seen, you know, kind of a lot more gushing over him, you know, to the levels of like Will Anderson in the, in this draft class. All right. If I'm going to bust through the rest of these, prospects. I'm going to have to do it a lot quicker. Uh, Luke Musgrave, tight end out of Oregon State. So I, I have uh, stopped and restarted recording so many times for this episode. I don't remember what all I've said about Musgrave. So I'm going to, here's my cliff notes. I'm going to keep it to 15 seconds or less. Luke Musgrave, to me, is the same type of tight end prospect that Dalton Kincaid was. And I liked Dalton Kincaid a lot. I didn't like Luke Musgrave because I said the sample size is just way too small. I think that they're very similar players, very similar ceilings. Um, there's absolutely nothing that should hold Luke Musgrave back, but he's kind of really never done it outside of two games. So just really limited sample size. Okay. Talking about what type of tight end he is. Um, as I talked about in the first tight ends podcast I did, and as we talked about with Coach Hahn on the second tight ends podcast, the Packers utilize three different types of tight ends. And, I mean, they're they're pretty drastically different. So, refresher, the first type of tight end, this is your you know, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller. It was our Robert Tunyon. This is called your duel. All right. It's a receiving threat. It's a tight end who frequently lines up in the slot, runs a lot of routes, catches a lot of passes. One thing that made Robert Tunyon particularly effective here, even though I don't think Tunyon was a really remarkable player, but Tunyon had blazing speed. He was incredibly fast. Luke Musgrave, incredibly fast. Um, now, I don't think, and and I don't think the Packers think this either, that Luke Musgrave or Tucker Craft are really limited to just these roles. That you can move these guys around and you can make them be different types of tight ends. However, uh, there is, you know, an archetype of the specific tight end need that you have and some of the tight ends on our roster fit those archetypes much more specifically than others do. Luke Musgrave, he ran a 461 40, which is certainly not blazing speed. 
However, I don't think that's really representative of what his speed is. Uh, when you watch the tape, he's kind of one of those just burners in the way that Robert Tunyon was. And in a weird way, and this is kind of more of a uh, correlation than a causation, I think, he grades much higher uh, as a deep receiver. So on passes of 20 yards or more, he has a 98.8 receiving grade. On passes of 10 to 19 yards, that drops down to a 76.1. I mean, this is dramatic. 98.8 down to 76.1. On short passes, 0 to 9 yards, he's got a 67.8 receiving grade. I mean, this, this is a dramatic shift. Now, um, we have to talk sample size. Because, again, the dude just didn't play very much. This is only for 2022. But he was targeted six times on those short routes, uh, six times in those intermediate routes. So, you know, I typically do actually lump those together and say, I would say 12 targets on short to medium or short to intermediate routes. And then he was targeted three times on deep routes. He had 85 yards and a touchdown on those three targets. He hauled in all three. One interesting thing is that he only had six yards after the catch on those three. So basically, um, you know, he caught two of them and went down almost immediately and then caught another one uh, in the end zone. So that is what he did in 2022. We're, we're talking, remember, again, just crazy small sample size. If you look at his 2021 season, a little different story. First of all, he had dramatically more targets. So he had 10 targets deep. 20 yards or more. He is again graded out really highly. 94.1 receiving grade. He had 117 yards. Um, he was targeted 10 times, only hauled in four of those. So, you know, you start expanding out this sample size. Granted, it was a year earlier. He was a year younger. And you do see with that bigger sample size, though, that he wasn't quite as effective. However, on those short to intermediate routes, he was targeted 27 times. Uh, 18 short, he had a 91.4 grade and nine medium. He had an 89.4. So I, I think that 2022, again, it's just all about that tiny sample size. Uh, I have an article here that I want to read to you. I think it's pretty good. Well, I'm not really going to read the whole article. This is, I'm just going to read a couple quotes from it. Bill Huber from sports illustrated, um, a writer I really like, he did the interview with, uh, Oregon State tight ends coach Brian Wozniak. Let's hear what he had to say about Luke Musgrave. First of all, he said, uh, talking about Luke's upside. Truthfully, you would have seen it last year, talking about if he had not gotten injured. He was ready to take off. With the injury, it obviously put those question marks up of, okay, what really is he? I'm here to tell you he's one of the more talented guys I've ever been around. Noting that... He only had 47 catches in 34 career games, which is small. It was such a disappointment for us as a team offensively and for the kid. He always works his butt off. The work he put in on the little, little details of his game in the offseason. But then we had to see the injury happen as he was getting ready to really take it off. It was a bummer for all of us. Nonetheless, he found a way to keep getting better. He is an extraordinary athlete. That's where you really see the upside. The production hasn't been quite there. But he's super athletic. He's big. Goes on to say, the safety from Boise, which is J.L. Skinner, a guy that a lot of Packer fans wanted to draft, 
He says, was one of the best safeties we saw all year, and Luke had his way with him. It was good competition, and he was just different out there. He was a man among boys in those two games. It was disappointing that you didn't get to see the rest of it, because I think he would have dominated throughout the rest of the season. We talked about it all the time, that there were so many times that things were called for him, and he was screaming wide open, and the ball was supposed to go to him, but the protection was messed up. The QB read it wrong or didn't see it. It happened so many times, it was almost like, come on, what's going on? It had nothing to do with him. He's wide open. He read it perfectly. He ran a great route, and we couldn't get the ball to him. We tried like H-E double hockey sticks. We knew who he was. (laughs) Uh, He can be really, really good, especially in Green Bay's system. This is still Wozniak talking. Where they run enough of the wide zone, enough of that duo, I think he's going to be able to take advantage of that really well. Um, the only other thing um, that I want to touch on from this interview with Wozniak is he addresses one of the big concerns that I've seen a ton of people have about Musgrave, and that is his blocking ability. Wozniak says Musgrave wants to block. This is another thing that, um, oh, who was it? Was it Milt Hendrickson, I think? It's either Milt Hendrickson or John Eric Sullivan who was talking to – it was Milt who was talking to the, the Packers um, – uh, media about the two tight ends. And he was saying that they are both willing blockers. And that's the, the number one most important thing. And, you know, you can teach technique, but you got to have guys who are willing to block. And these guys are, and obviously that's a, a huge factor in being a tight end. Um, and, and one of the big, you know, things in year one, cause we're, you know, when you have these rookie tight ends, it's not super realistic to have huge expectations for them right there in year one. I mean, truthfully, if you don't get anything out of a tight end until year three, honestly, that's standard. That that does not mean that your tight end is off track. It's, it's about standard. It usually takes until about year three for that tight end to really figure out the system and start being productive. And that's, yeah, you can get tight ends who are productive sooner than that. Kyle Pitts is an example. It's uncommon. Now, the fact that we have two tight ends that we drafted here and we have Josiah DeGuara, I think you are looking at a much, uh, who, by the way, DeGuara is, this will be his fourth year. And I thought he really started to turn it on at points last year in year three. But the fact that you have all three of those guys, I think greatly increases the chances that you're going to have a guy who really is producing in 2023. But on Musgrave as a blocker, Wozniak says he wants to block. He wants to be a huge part of the run game. Good news. Love to hear that. He knows how important that it is. Hang on. I just got chills for a second because when I was reading about Musgrave wanting to be a huge part of the run game, I had this little uh, tick in the back of my brain go, eh, yeah, but you know, we never run. Uh, we We always check out of the runs. And I thought... Ah, Aaron's not here anymore. I mean, there were a lot of positives, a lot of positives about having Aaron here. But with him leaving, you also lose some of the negatives. And some of the negatives were checking out of a lot of run plays. <laughs> um, and, dude, if I'm Matt LaFleur, I am putting my finger right in Jordan Love's face and saying, if you check out of a run play, you had better score a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> on that path. He wants to be a huge part of the run game. He knows how important that it is to get him open in the pass game. He's a well-rounded guy. 
talks about how he's cerebral, talks about he's got a good memory and recognizes, uh, you know, different looks from the defense, does a good job of bluffing the defense when he's had to uh, block certain plays. He creates a mismatch with his size and speed as a receiver. The willingness to block and the excellent combination of size and speed makes him a tight end who checks all the boxes for the Packers. So I would say, to me, this is a high upside guy. It's he's, he's high risk, high reward. High ceiling, low floor. This is a guy who really could be a humongous bust. But if he hits, I mean, he's going to be... There's nothing stopping him from being one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Except for the fact that very few tight ends pan out. Except for the fact that he had a very limited sample size in college. Has kind of only ever really shown that crazy high upside in two games ever. So, you know, there's a lot stacked against him in terms of putting it together and actually doing it at the next level. But there should be nothing holding him back. Truthfully, I don't know. I don't want to make comparisons to Jay Sternberger. But I I think that a lot of Jace's issues had nothing to do with his body. It had everything to do with you know, who he was as a person and the kind of uh, work ethic he was putting in and what he was doing um, in the locker room. I I think that was all a a bigger factor in why he didn't pan out. Uh, Don't really know very much about Luke as a person, to be honest. Um, Don't know a ton about Tucker Craft either. I'm going to skip Jaden Reed here uh, just because since we're talking about one tight end, let's talk about the other tight end too. Um and and I've I've had a couple people ask me like why do we take multiple tight ends like didn't we have other big needs why didn't we try and take a safety well first of all again as I mentioned the odds of getting good production out of one tight end in his rookie season are not high so you're doubling up on those odds of getting production in year one um, you're also doubling up on the odds of just hitting on a guy in general and. I think maybe more importantly, we needed multiple tight ends. We lost Mercedes and Tunyon. And even if we bring Mercedes back, that's a short-term thing. Three years from now, Mercedes is not going to be here. Ideally, you hit on both uh, Musgrave and Kraft and DeGuara because you need all three of these types of tight ends. So let's talk about Tucker Kraft. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. 
So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. And that that other type of tight end, because your your H back or your F is what Josiah Deguara does. We talked about that a lot, that he has some fullback responsibilities, some blocking responsibilities, um, is a, a a big part of screens and, and short passes and that kind of stuff. And, and there's a lot that Deguara can do there. But we're also looking for that guy who can fill the Mercedes Lewis role. And I think that's supposed to be Tucker Kraft. He was one of the guys that I really highlighted um, in my tight ends pod. And I actually also had uh, Coach Hahn talk about him. This is just a guy that I really felt like checked a lot of boxes for what the Packers were going to be looking for. And although we didn't get uh, Noah Gindorf, who was Coach Hahn's favorite tight end prospect, and we didn't get Luke Schoonmaker, who I really liked, we did hit on Tucker Craft. So let's talk about him. He's a tight end for uh, out of uh, South Dakota State. Grew up in Gillette, Wyoming. Um, he was the number two tight end in the great state of Wyoming. I can't imagine there's a ton of tight ends out there, but he ended up going to South Dakota state. Um, a couple things that you will notice about him, both when you watch his tape and that you will read in every single scouting report about him. There are two things that he really excels at. One is he makes really tough catches in traffic, which I love, and which I think is something that um, Mercedes Lewis did kind of excel at. And he's a great run blocker. And, and I think this is probably the more likely of the two to be a contributor in 2023. If you talk about his overall strengths, you're going to talk about the versatility. He's a fantastic blocker, a decent receiver. Um, he has good hands. I would certainly describe him as a natural pass catcher. He consistently makes tough catches in traffic. Um, he, obviously, with that big tight end frame and that and and decent speed, he doesn't have Luke Musgrave burner speed, but he's got decent speed. He is a mat, uh, a mismatch. I also like th- like the way that he fights through contact and fights for extra yards. Um, that was something that I noted about a couple of the prospects that I really liked at both wide receiver and tight end. That was one of the things I liked about Tucker Craft. Um, I think that he may be a little more valuable in the red zone than between the twenties. Um, he might, uh, you know, those those tight windows that he catches in might make him a, an exceptionally good uh, end zone threat. And maybe that's actually a situation where at least early on, while you're still trying to develop some of your various young guys, I would certainly consider pulling Luke Musgrave off the field and really leaning more on Tucker Kraft when he got, get down into the end zone. Um, I did mention that he's a good blocker. Um, I, I think he has a lot of power in his block. Um, does a decent job against some of the stronger defenders that he's going to go up against. Um, I think he's a much better run blocker than pass blocker, consistently opening up holes for running backs. Um, just uh, overall relatively impressed there. He does have some weaknesses. One thing is that he has, and this is not really that uncommon for um, guys who go to small schools. It's not that uncommon for tight ends but he really could work on some of his route running. I think that his uh, tree is pretty limited. 
Um, and, and, and I think that the tree he does run could use some polish, but he's got the physical traits. He's got good speed, very athletic. I think that if he kind of polished up some of the finesse stuff, I think that would make him a much more effective receiver just across the board. Um, also just, you know, another common thing that you see, uh, with college guys, of course, just the consistency. And, and I think this is one of those things for him that might kind of be a make or break thing for him is that, you know, those really good players are guys who are consistently great. And I think he is intermittently great. If he can, um, really dramatically increase how frequently he, um, puts up really impressive plays. Uh, I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing because he has shown what he can do and I, and I, what he can do is, is absolutely enough, but he needs to do that more often. And I feel like you, you he's, he's just kind of a, uh, what's the term I want to use? He's either there or he's not, <laughs> he's, uh, just, just inconsistent. Um, but kind of in the way that a lot of, of Packers players have been over the last few years, you know, that you have these guys who sort of like MVS, that they really show up in a game here and just, you know, blow you away or for a player to here or there, just like absolutely just save your neck. And then a lot of the other time, just you're like, come on, can, can you do more of that other stuff? <laughs> so string together that consistency. And, uh, I, I think that, uh, he has a, ch- a chance to, just really be uh, fantastic. And I, and a lot of other people had um, Tucker craft uh, rated um, very highly. I think, let me just pull this up and just make sure before I say it, I know a bunch of other people had Tucker craft ranked higher for them than Luke Musgrave. Uh, Yes, I did. Tucker craft was my tight end six behind Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, Darnell Washington, Sam Laporta and Luke Schoonmaker. And I had him three spots ahead of, Luke Musgrave, who was my tight end nine. Um, but absolutely loved Luke Musgrave. Um, or sorry, loved Tucker Craft and am excited for the Luke Musgrave pick. And again, everything I ever said about Luke Musgrave is people like him. And if he is everything that people say he is, then he's special. But he's had such small opportunities to show that and he's missed so much time that I just don't know. (laughs) So that's the summary. All right. Last guy that we're going to talk about for this episode and and maybe I'll do another pod tomorrow or in a couple days or so and talk about some more guys. We got a bunch more draft picks to get through and also a bunch of undrafted free agents that we signed, but I want to talk about Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed again was just not on my radar. I just didn't watch him prior to the draft. Um, I was aware of him because um, I have watched games that he's in. And I remember in 2021 being really impressed with him. And then he fell off a lot, in my opinion, in 2022. Um, But the Packers were super excited about him. And they took him over a bunch of guys like Rasheed Rice, Jalen Hyatt, who had a lot more accolades and who I liked a lot better. Um, but, but, uh, but Jaden Reed just on paper fits a lot of the stuff that I was asking for in Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think that he, if he is 
everything that the Packers think he is. I think that he has a higher ceiling than Jackson. And that is purely based on the athleticism that Jackson had one real ceiling. And that was, you know, that he had a, a limited top end speed. Now I, I think that Jackson does and did and will continue to do fantastic things. And I think that today Jackson is a better player. And if I had been doing this draft, I would have wanted Jackson over Jaden Reed, although that was obviously not an option at pick 50, but just straight up between the two guys, I would rather have Jackson. However, knowing the Packers, like I do knowing what they value, you can see pretty easily how that top end speed was, would be a lot more um, appealing and valuable to them compared to, you know, the, the stuff that, that Jackson can do without that speed. Yeah. I just checked. I actually watched and ranked 40 wide receivers and Jaden Reed would have been 41. And I'm not saying that he was 41 in terms of there were 40 guys who were better than him. I'm saying if I had watched one more receiver, Jaden Reed would have been the guy I would have watched and then ranked somewhere in there. So I got through 40. I got through the 40 who on paper seemed the most interesting to me. Um, and I didn't get to Jaden. Let's talk about why. Um, just on paper, really unimpressive. Uh, 70.4 overall grade, 71.2 receiving grade. That is pretty small or pretty low. A couple of guys who were big names. Uh, who had worse grades than that? Ruckham Jarrett out of Maryland was a guy I really liked a lot and actually compares very similarly, uh, in my opinion, to Jaden Reed, except he's more athletic than Jaden Reed is. Um, but similar grades, similar production. Uh, Elijah Higgins out of Stanford. Uh, this is a guy who I enjoyed watching, but he had a lot of flaws to his game and I think was. Uh, although very athletic, I think he had some, some limitations to his athleticism that I couldn't really ignore. Um, I think that's about it. Kayshawn Booty had lower grades than Jaden Reed, but that's about it. Uh, Jacob Copeland out of Maryland, who was my wide receiver 13 and was a lot of people's, you know, wide receiver 70. <laughs> uh, he had, uh, almost identical grades to Jaden Reed. Um, but it wasn't just the grades. Uh, the production just wasn't there either. You have for your uh, wide receiver OPS stat from the great Paul Noonan over Acme Packing Company. Um, you're looking for a point eight or better for a guy who is, you know, has good production. Jaden Reed is sitting at 0.774. So this just on paper, there was not a lot of reason why I was going to be super excited about his production. Okay. Was he a freak athlete? Not really out of a 10 relative athletic score. He had a 6.74. The only guys who I watched and ranked who had um, worse athletic scores were Trey Palmer out of Nebraska, who I ranked wide receiver number 20, Jordan Addison out of USC, I ranked as wide receiver 23. Uh, Kayshawn Booty, 4.99. 
and Puka Nakua BYU five one seven, and lastly Tank Dell Houston five eight two. Those are the only guys who had worse relative athletic scores. Now let's talk about what goes into that. So first of all, he his his official forty time is a four four five, which is uh basically identical to Jackson Smith and Jigba's. Now Jackson had a four five two, I think. Um, but his wide receiver coach claimed he could run a four four five. Jaden was clocked at four four five. The Packers said they clocked him at four three seven. That's actually a big deal. If I had known that he was a four three seven, and I don't know that there is any source out there other than just the word of the Green Bay Packers. If I had known that he was a four three seven, I would have been a lot more interested in him. He's a smaller guy. He's just a hair under five eleven. It's a little bit lighter. Just a hair over we'll call it 190 pounds. Because there's some disagreement out there about what his his height and weight is. But we'll call him 5'11", 190. Um, His arms are short. 30 and a half inches. That's exactly the same as Jackson Smith and Jigba. That was a loud critique of Jackson Smith and Jigba. A lot of people were were wary of his T-Rex arms. Um, He also had a much smaller wingspan than Jackson. Jackson had a 75 and a half inch wingspan. Jaden had a 72, we'll call it a 73 inch wingspan. Um, he didn't run the three cone. His short shuttle was, I would say poor. Uh, this is one of the areas where Jackson really excelled. So most of the guys, um, in this class are running, mm, we'll call it a four, two, five average. And you're really looking for like a four, two or better. Jackson had a nine, a three, nine, three. So that's fantastic. Um, Jaden had a four, two, nine. His vert was, his vertical jump was a little short as well. Um, we'll call 39 or thir- we'll call 38 average. Jaden has a 33 and a half vert. That's not good. His broad jump is fine. It's over 10 feet. That's great. He's a little on the old side, 23 years old. One of the things I don't, there's two things I don't like about older players. One is that you have less time with them. All right. So you think about the fact that, you know, we drafted Kenny Clark when he was, you know, what felt like 13 years old and he's uh, in line to get his third contract when he's like 28 or 29. I'm exaggerating slightly, but you get the point. You can keep a guy like him around for an eternity, but also Guys tend to, the older they get, they tend to play better. So if you draft an older guy, this is one of the the critiques about offensive tackle Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan last year. He was an older guy at, at age 25. The older you are, you tend to be a better player. So if, which sounds like a good thing, but it's actually not because you are essentially the age of a pro football player. And you are playing among a bunch of 20, uh, 19, you know, 19, 20, 21 year olds. And with that age difference, you really are expected, um, just statistically to really dominate them. And so if you don't really separate yourself a ton, um, as an older player in college, 
that usually can be somewhat of an indicator that you are closer to your ceiling, that there's not as much room to grow. So that if you were to draft a different player who had about the same production but was two or three years younger than you, you'd expect them to become a lot better, a lot better by the time they are your age. But we have drafted plenty of older players. This is not, you know, the the biggest damnation of Jaden Reed. And I, I just want to preface this and say I am definitely getting excited about Jaden Reed. Here's a big difference between Jaden and Jackson in a positive. Jackson Smith and Jigba um, for the 2021 season, which is the year that he really played, he played uh, 367 snaps in the slot and only 46 out wide. Jaden Reed in his uh, most recent college season, 2022, played uh, 84 snaps in the slot and 291 out wide. This is a guy who, despite his size, absolutely can play on the boundary absolutely can be a deep threat. And I think this is what the Packers were looking for is they did want a guy who had the positive traits of Jackson that you could put out there to compliment Christian Watson, kind of be a balance to Romeo Dobbs, but then also could still hurt you down deep, still had some speed, still stretched and stressed defenses in the same way that Christian Watson did. And don't forget, we also have Luke Musgrave that we just drafted, who's got that burner speed. You're going to have three guys on this offense, Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, and Luke Musgrave, who are all going to be kind of field stretchers. And this is something that was really missing last year. If you look at the offense overall in 2022, one of the big critiques that you had all year was that everything was super compressed. When you didn't have Christian Watson, the offense didn't work. That was the same deal in 2021 when you were missing MVS, the offense didn't work because you need a deep threat, a speedy guy, somebody with some speed to go stretch the offense, stretch the defense and open up opportunities for other players, players like Romeo Dobbs and love Romeo Dobbs, but that's just not his game. He's just not that speedy guy. He's not bad. But he can't be the fastest guy you have. That's just not going to work. So we're in a spot now where instead of just only having Christian Watson, we have three guys. And for what it's worth, and I don't think it's worth much, but it is a lotto ticket that we can scratch and, and hope we hit on it. Bo Melton is a uh, free agent wide receiver that we picked up um, this offseason who is burner fast, you know, Christian Watson fast. Maybe this is a guy who makes the roster over a guy like Samori Toure um, because of that speed threat that you have another option of somebody who can just, you know, go run a go go route or a post route or something and just, you know, make defenses respect you <clears throat> and take some weight off of that run game, take some weight off of that short to intermediate passing game. In short, I think that <sighs> Adding these three pass catchers on day two, two tight ends and a Jackson Smith and Jigba like wide receiver. This is what I was asking them to do. It's not the specific guys that I was asking for minus Tucker craft. I did want him, 
you know, but like in, in my perfect world where I can just have any players I want, I probably would have asked for, you know, Michael Mayer, um, Luke Schoonmaker and Jackson Smith and Jigba or, you know, Dalton Kincaid and Luke Schoonmaker and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, I, and that really is what we got. If you take the names off of it. And if you take the word of the Packers scouts who say, this is what we think this guy can be. <clears throat> take the names off of it. Take away the fact that I looked at these guys as prospects and I was not as impressed by them as I was by some of their peers who had very, very similar body types and skill sets. I think there's a lot to be a lot of here to be excited about. And I think that even if these guys don't all hit, although I think there's plenty of reason to think that they could all hit, even if they don't all hit, I still think you have added the necessary pieces to the offense to keep it effective. Cause we were in a, in a situation after losing Mercedes Lewis, after losing Robert Tunyon and uh, I mean, take your pick of who we lost at wide receiver, who would put us in a situation where you just had Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. We were in a situation where you just didn't have all the pieces you need. Now you do. You have that third wide receiver um, who I would guess probably over the next one to two years has a good likelihood of settling in as your wide receiver too. Um, you know, but a, a nice compliment to what you have in Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. We still have two more receivers that we picked up in this draft that I have run out of time to talk about today, but we'll get into in the next podcast, hopefully um, that also bring their own unique sets of skills and traits. Uh, but I think that, these pieces really fill in the cracks that we needed to have a complete offense. And I think you have everything you need. Plus you added the best defensive prospect in this draft. You don't have to agree with my assessment. You can say, dude, you're an idiot. Jalen Carter and Will Anderson were way better. You know what? I really, I really don't care if that's your, your um, assessment of those guys. That is totally fine. You can like Tyree Wilson better than Lucas Van Ness. Lucas was my favorite guy by a mile. That's what the numbers said. That's what I saw when I watched him. I'm excited. I think we just drafted the next JJ Watt. I really do. I'm super stoked to see what he can turn into. Uh, I have, I'm setting low expectations for him in year one, but year two, man, I think that's when he's going to really pop off. You just watch out for Lucas Van Ness in 2024. I think he's going to be an absolute menace. And then these tight ends. Again, if you don't get anything out of them until year three, that's standard for tight ends. But since we have two of them and we have Josiah DeGuara, I think you've dramatically increased your odds of ending up with at least one tight end who really can contribute in a big way in 2023. And we'll probably get some sort of contributions from all three of them. It'd be interesting to see who tight end four ends up being. Is that Tyler Davis? Do we bring back Mercedes Lewis? Um, you know, what combination do we have there? But I think we know three of our four tight ends and there's a limited pool of guys who that fourth tight end could be. We've got our top three wide receivers in Christian Watson, Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs. I'm not really interested in adding a veteran. I'm not, you know, there was a lot of talk prior to Randall Cobb going to the Jets today. 
about, oh, maybe we bring back uh, Randall Cobb and, and, you know, lean on his veteran presence. I'm just not that interested. You know, this this is not a year in my mind where we are expecting to win a Super Bowl. This is not a rebuilding year, but a growth year. Like, I want to make the playoffs. I do. Um, I want to see Jordan Love really excel. But it's not like Super Bowl or bust for me this year. And I'm just not that interested in stunting the development of Jaden Reed to give snaps to Randall Cobb. If we have some hiccups on offense this year, that's okay. We had way bigger issues than just hiccups last year on offense when we had Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, we kind of made it through some of our lumps with Christian and Romeo last year. I'm really hoping that they um, come in year two and, and really just take off and, and take ownership of things here. Interested to see how Jaden as a slightly older player fits in, maybe is productive right away. I mean, he's been very productive at Michigan state for a long time. I think that there is a lot of reason to think that this young hungry group of offensive uh, playmakers, Jordan Love, R- Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, Josiah DeGuar, who's already close friends with um, Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon. Pff, I can't even think. I'm, I know I there's a, a guy or two that I forgot to mention. I think they're all hungry, and I think they have a lot that they want to prove. I think, I think they got some chips on their shoulders from listening to people crap on them all offseason and talk about how this offense is going to go to zero now that Aaron Rodgers isn't there. Do you think they don't hear that? I mean, I see them posting the, the clips and videos and, and pictures of themselves on, on Instagram and, and how hard they're working. And I see Jordan Love down in the trenches, you know, working out with these guys, pulling sleds, lifting weights. I mean, he is hungry. He is leading this team. Is it going to be pretty? Pfft, heck if I know. <laughs> but I'm excited to see it. And I'm excited to see if we can see some glimmers early on of what the full potential can be. And I'm going to have a lot of grace for these guys if they're struggling, if they're not all smooth and on the same page, and if it's not all humming the way it needs to be. I'm going to have a lot of grace for them. But what I'm going to be looking for is continued development. I'm looking for these sparks, looking for glimmers and glimpses of what this is going to be down the road. And uh, I'm just beyond excited about Lucas Van Ness. I can't even tell you how excited I am. I'm going to get out of here. Um, looking forward to doing the next episode where we talk about uh, Colby Wooden, Dontavian Wicks. We're going to get into some Sean Clifford and some uh, Anders Carlson. We're going to talk about our seventh rounders next time here on the Packernet Podcast Network. <laughs>